Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Everybody repeat after me. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I'm found. Was blind. But now I see. We are so glad you are here today. Uh, to be honest with you, I, 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 I wasn't even sure who was going to show up today. New Year's Day, dreary, rainy. I, on my way to the, the church this morning, I was just thinking, Lord, I just hope three people are there. <laughs> no, seriously. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> if, you're there, if you're there, God, it'll be all right. Uh, but wow, this is amazing. I mean, we had the same thing at the first worship celebration as well. I can only conclude from that that you are wanting to start out 2017 in the right direction. You are wanting, yeah, God is going to honor that. God is going to bless that. And I am just so thankful that you would be here today. Come on, let's welcome all the campuses, Garner, Sanford, North Raleigh, Columbia, NCCIW, Coffee House, um, and Hillsboro, I just want to say to you that your brothers and sisters are standing with you today, and we love you, and we realize this is your first Sunday after laying to rest uh, a beautiful little boy by the name of Everett at the age of five years old, and our church, just we're here with you in solidarity, and we love you very, very much. You want to let them know how much we, maybe you've heard about that. So before I even jump in today, I do just want to say, man, I am very, very excited about where we're going in the first part of 2017. Um, you already heard about the first series that we're doing, which is kicking off a week from today. There are two things that I hear on a regular basis from people, two things that continue to cause the greatest stress, sometimes the greatest stress in marriages, often it's, it's referred to as the thing that causes the most divorces. Um, the first one is money. And so um, I'm excited about this series called Right on the Money. And uh, Pastor Dave said it well. This is not a series that we want anything from you. We want something for you. And you might not be fully aware of what this God's word says, the full counsel of God's wisdom on our finances. So we're going to be looking at that from top to bottom, not just about the tithe, but about all that God says about how you handle your resources, that's the number one uh, thing that I hear about. And that starts a week from today. But then in February, do you want to know where we're going in February? Because this is the second, this is the second thing that people struggle with the most. This is hard work. I'm talking about marriage. I have decided to title the sermon series that kicks off in February. Get ready, get ready, get ready. I hate my marriage. Sister over here said, that's a good one. <laughs> hey, we got a billboard on 15501 with that up there. You know why? You know why? Because a large percentage of the people who are married feel that way. By the way, I got the sermon series from somebody who said that to me. I hate my marriage. Now, you, hopefully you noticed the subtitle, Finding Love Again. So we're, we're, we're not saying it's okay to hate your marriage. Hello. And for you single people who are thinking, I'm just going to check out. I'm just going to check out. I don't need to be here in February. Oh, my, do you need to be here. If you ever plan on getting married, maybe for a second time or for a first time, whatever the case 
may be. Single people, marriage is hard work. This is why the Apostle Paul, maybe you don't know that the Bible says this. This is why, <laughs> this is why the Apostle Paul said, if you are single, you might think about staying that way. People who are laughing right now, we're the married people. Just saying, just saying. So you, 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 we're going to be talking about stuff you need to write down, underline in red, highlight in yellow, and circle 10 times. So I'm excited about January and February. Oh, and oh yeah, don't miss this. And this is good news for those of you who are married. We are having a marriage enrichment retreat here at the campus. I think it's the third weekend in February. We're bringing a big speaker from Atlanta, Ted Lowe. He's going to be speaking. We're going to do stuff on probably Friday night on all day Saturday. We're going to have seminars on marriage to equip you. And then he's going to preach on Sunday. We're going after marriage in February. It's Valentine's Month. Let's find the love Again, can I get an amen from the married people? <laughs> All right, well, um, I know we just prayed a moment ago, but can we pray one more time? Father, um, be glorified today. It's all about you. And I pray that when we leave here today, Lord, our eyes will be fixed on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. God, I pray that you take our minds and think through them. Lord, that you would take our hearts and fill with them. Lord Jesus, that you would take my lips today and speak through them. For if you do not speak, then absolutely nothing of any significance will have been spoken. And the people of God said together. So the productions team asked me if, uh, if, if we wanted to change the set for this first Sunday in January. And uh, because... I have decided to share my testimony. I said no, because it's actually a perfect setting for me to talk to you about my story. And the truth is, um, I probably don't do this enough. And I, I guess I'm sorry for that. Um, I, 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 maybe in 14 years, going on 15 years, I might have shared it maybe four times. Can't quite remember. But I get asked to do this quite often, and I, and I don't do it, probably not enough. And maybe because it's just kind of draining, I had... Three people from the, the last worship celebration grabbed me afterwards, spiritual giants, just people who just are really dialed in to the Lord. And they came up and they just prayed for me. They said, we can tell. We can tell that when you share that, it's more draining than any other Sunday we see you teach. And so um, pray for me as, as I pray for you right now as I talk a little bit about my story. Um, it, it was a little like this. We, you know, I grew up in a, in a middle income, maybe low income home, um, blue collar, if you will, Sumter, South Carolina, born and raised. I don't know if you've ever been down I-95 going south toward Georgia or Florida, but if you have, you've seen on I-95 the signs for Sumter, South Carolina. I was born and raised in Sumter. Uh, pretty much equidistance, if you will, between Columbia and Florence, uh, right on the way to Myrtle Beach. And that was my stomping grounds. That's where I grew up. That was home for me. I, um, I grew up in a very challenging, broken dysfunctional home. Um, I, didn't, I didn't go to church at all. Like some of you 
and most of you probably grew up at least having some church experience. We weren't de-churched or we weren't unchurched. We were never churched. Like I never, I never went to church. I never ever um, read a Bible. I didn't even know what the Bible was. I never even knew that there was a God who, who loved me. I grew up in a family that it just, it just was not a part of our story. I grew up with a father who was, um, he was hardcore, old school kind of parenting. Maybe some of you grew up with, with this. Um, my, my dad, um, my dad never told me one time in, in uh, growing up that he loved me, except one time that I can remember so, so vividly. It was, uh, I was in the Little League World Series. I love to play baseball, and I still love baseball. Uh, I don't want to watch the sport on TV. I'd rather watch the grass grow than watch a game uh, of baseball. But I love to go to a live baseball game, and I love the sport. I, it's one of my favorite sports. I was in the Little League World Series, 12 years old. Um, we were playing Starksville, Mississippi. We were in Mississippi, made it all the way to the championship game of the Little League World Series. Um, I was a pitcher, and when I didn't pitch, I played shortstop. I pitched. We lost the game. I cried like a baby, and my dad came up to me, and I'll never forget it. He, he kissed me on my forehead. He'd never, never done that before either. Kissed me on my forehead and said, I love you. Only time. He was a very, very tough man. Um, in our pantry in the kitchen, some of you might have experienced this. I pray you haven't. But in our pantry in our kitchen was a big black belt. One sister in the first service when I said that said, Amen. <laughs> she did. Big black belt that, that he would use um, on a regular basis. And when, when his temper got the best of him and that didn't seem to work for him, I can remember several instances in my life where my dad would um, punch, beat uh, my brothers and I. My mother, my mother, on the other hand, wasn't that different in her, in her female kind of way. Um, I, I look back on it now and I, I realize that my mother had a lot going on in her, in her life. Her mother died when she was three and her father died when she was five. So she was parentless by the time she was five years old. Moreover, she was living with my dad and their marriage. Talking about hating your marriage. Their marriage was broken. And my mom, while she also verbally abused us, what my mom would do more than ever um, was she would, uh, she would verbally abuse us. I, I never heard things like, I love you or I believe in you, or you're going to do something great with your life. I heard words such as, I hate you. You're never going to amount to anything. And I hope you die and rot in hell. Like, like literally. So by the time... I was in the fifth grade, 
This is hard to imagine, I know, but by the time I was in the fifth grade, going into middle school, my fifth grade summer, I stumbled across my brother and some neighborhood guys in the garage smoking pot. And um, they asked me, did I want any? And so I, I said, yes. And it was on that very day that my life then started. I didn't, I didn't like just play with it a little bit. I mean, my life went headstrong into a seven-year period of intense drug abuse, alcohol abuse, my own violent abuse. I got in a gang. We were called the homeboys, and we fought all the time. I mean, we went out on the weekends, and our goal was to get as stoned as we possibly could and fight. And I mean hard, hard fighting with whatever you could get your hands on. And it sent me down this long road of self-destruction, hell-bound lostness. I just thought of the guest here. Oh, by the way, welcome to New Hope. <laughs> what you see is what you get here. So going into the sixth grade, fifth grade summer, this is, this is what started for me. And it continued for seven years. Basically, by the time I was in the seventh grade, I was taking LSD on a regular basis. I was smoking crack cocaine. And I'm so embarrassed to tell you this, but I was breaking into homes. Stealing anything I could get my hands on, me and the, the guys and, and the gang. And selling it as quickly as we could to support this ravenous drug addiction. By the time I reached the eighth grade, I knew my parents' marriage was going under. My dad was sleeping on the couch. I noticed his wedding ring was off on the end table. And it didn't take a brain surgeon to figure out this thing was not going well. Eighth grade summer, my parents divorced. And I basically said to hell with both of you. If you can't live together, I'm not going to live with either of you. And I moved out. I was on my own going into the ninth grade. Now I'm going to cover a lot of period in a very short period of time. But basically what happened in a seven year period is I was arrested six times. And that ranged from possession of marijuana Possession of crack cocaine to breaking and entering and grand larceny and on and on and on. And by the time I was in high school, like I said, I was, I was living on my own. I, I was, and I don't believe anybody should be called this, but I'm just letting you know what, what I was called, what I was. Um, I, I lived in a trailer park. And where I'm from, you, they called people like me white trash. And so I lived in a trailer park, and by that point in time... I was selling pounds of marijuana every single week just to support my crack addiction. 
And this continued for quite some time until on October 23rd, uh, September 23rd, my bad, 1988, um, I pulled into a Burger King parking lot. And I had been on, I was, I was hardballing heroin and crack cocaine at the same time. And I'd been going for 48 hours. And I pulled into a Burger King parking lot on Broad Street, which is the main thoroughfare through downtown Sumter, South Carolina. And I went into a Burger King parking lot to, once again, um, hardball these two drugs in in conjunction with one another, and I overdosed. And I don't remember a lot of what I'm about to tell you between what happened there and what landed me in jail for the sixth time, but parts of it I do recall. And I recall after doing that in the stall of continuing to fall down face first, kind of face planting in that stall in Burger King. Remember hitting my head on the toilet at one point in time? I came out of the stall and I, I made it out to my car, which was a 1968 white Mustang. Dudes, guys, it was awesome. <laughs> it was bad to the bone. And I got in that white Mustang and... Again, I don't remember a lot, but I do remember backing out and running into an elderly couple. Now, I didn't, I didn't hit them. I hit the car they were in, but the elderly gentleman was getting out of the car, and so me hitting the car knocked him over. I do, I do remember that. And so I left that scene. That's hit and run number one. And I pulled out onto Broad Street. I took a right. I know these streets mean nothing to you, but... I'm just playing it out in my mind. I took a ride on Broad Street, and I went down to another major intersection, and it was called Westmark Boulevard, and I ran into that intersection, and I had a head-on collision with a car on Westmark Boulevard. The car was practically destroyed at that point in time, but it would still barely drive, and so I took a right on Westmark Boulevard, and I rode down Westmark Boulevard, and I had another crash Again, this is all 12 noon, 12.30 p.m., September 23rd, 1988. And so I hit that last car, that third accident, and the car would not go any further. I have a picture of this Mustang. You'd look at it and you'd think, how did any human being live and walk away from that car? I got up out of the car because the car wouldn't go any further. And, and there I was. Picture the scene. It's a beautiful sunny day. It's September 23rd. And I am trying to walk. And every couple of steps I would face plant on Westmark Boulevard. I was, I was dying right before everyone's eyes. I vaguely remember the cops coming by that accident and they saw me. I guess they were responding to the first hit and run. And so they spun the car around and they arrested me and they put me in the back of a police car. And I'm sitting there still overdosing but, but coming out of it a, a little bit. And I'm watching them pull out of the white Mustang the bags of marijuana, the heroin, the crack, the paraphernalia, the cash. 
And I'm seeing all this go down. And as time went by, I don't know how long it was, probably just minutes, I, I decided I needed to unlock the car. And so with my hands cuffed, I, I reached up and I unlocked the cop car. No, I was not going to help them. I, I unlocked the cop car and I got out of the car and I started running down Westmark Boulevard. And the cops started chasing me. And I ran for a little while and then I realized I needed to, to uh, change directions. So I, I jetted through this little lot, this kind of wooded lot area. And before long came upon a neighborhood. And they're still behind me. They're running. And um, drugs will mess you up, young person. You need to stay away from drugs. They will, they will make you think things you, you cannot do. And so I, for a moment, thought that I could, with handcuffs on, jump over this fence. Not a normal fence, like a wood fence, a taller fence. And so I, I, I jumped over the, well, I tried to jump over the fence and uh, face-planted again into the earth. And they caught me, and they handcuffed me, and they roughed me up a little bit. And they walked me back to the car, and they put me in the back of that same police car. Except this time, they put this big, burly police officer beside me. <laughs> basically to say, you aren't running again. And I went to jail. And this time, I was there to stay. There, there was no getting out this time. Time's before, my parents would come and get me. Uh, some friends bailed me out a few times. But this time, I was facing five years in the state penitentiary for possession of marijuana, possession of crack cocaine, heroin, resisting arrest, assaulting a police officer, um, drug paraphernalia. I might have said that already. Oh, oh, and this one, um, changing lanes unlawfully. They, they basically were going to throw the book at me, anything they could get. And, and I was there to stay. I wasn't going anywhere. And um, some of you are here, and, and you might need to just hear that. There are times, I believe, when a child might need tough love. There are times when the best thing you can do is maybe let a child lie in the bed he or she is made. And there are other times when you don't need to do that, and only you as a parent will know. I guess what I'm trying to say to you is I look back on it, and I am incredibly thankful that I was there to stay, and nobody was going to get me out this time. Parents weren't going to come and get me. My buddies sure weren't going to pitch up $5,000 to get me out. And this time, I was there to stay. And so I sat day after day in the Sumter County jail cell, which was about as big as this little platform here, not to out to there. That would have been luxury. I'm talking about right here. And it was about a four by six, five by eight, I don't know, jail cell. And, and there was a, a steel toilet and a sink right here. And there was a steel bed right here with a little mattress on it. And as I've shared that before, I've never shared this. You might be thinking like I had the whole cell to myself. No, 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 there, that was a bunk bed. 
And so I'm in a jail cell with somebody that I don't know. You want to talk about something humiliating and humbling? Live in a jail cell with your roomie, and there's a sink and a toilet, and there he is, and you're, you're there. You're stuck. But then something happened. The jail chaplain by the name of Ray Jones came to my jail cell and gave me my first Bible. And I started reading the Bible. Like, like when you're in jail, you, you, you want something to read, or at least I did. And so he gave me my Bible and he said, I want you to read the Gospel of John. And I'm like, what is the Gospel of John and where is it? And he opened up the Bible and he showed me the Gospel of John. And I started reading the Gospel of John. And I started reading things like John 3.16, For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Then I got to things like John 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then I got finished reading John's gospel. And I said, what what should I do now? He said, read Luke. So I went and I read Luke's gospel. And I read all that's in Luke's gospel. Remember the, the, the series that we were in in Christmas, Welcome Home. I started reading about a God who searches for lost people. A God who celebrates when lost people are found. And then I got finished with John's gospel. I'm like, what next? He said, read Romans. So I went to the book of Romans and I started reading the book of Romans. And I was that guy in jail. And all I did was read the Bible. It wasn't this Bible, but I still have it at home. It was a red leather back Bible. It says on the front, a gift from the Sumter County Jail. And then it had Chaplain Ray Jones's name. Down the, it was the red letter kind. You know what I'm talking about? He said, I want you to read these books, but pay close attention to the words in red, the words of Jesus. And so there I sat and I sat and I sat. After about three months, my court date is coming up. And so Chaplain Jones comes to my jail cell and he said, do you wanna become a Christian? And I said, I don't really know what that means. He said, well, it means you just accept Christ into your heart. And the Bible says you're born again. And then he took me to that passage in John's gospel. And and I said, yes, I do. And we got down on our knees. We, we, We kneeled right beside that steel bed that I was telling you about. And he prayed the sinner's prayer. And I I just repeated it after him. You know, there's nothing formulaic about it. I I don't remember exactly what he said. But it was basically, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner I need you to be my savior. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Help me follow you from this day forward. I just prayed what he prayed. And um, he said, amen. And I, I said, amen. And, and, then, he, and then I said, what, what next? What should I do now? Because I was facing, I was going before the judge in a few days. He goes, you need a haircut. I don't know if I said that earlier, but that high school dropout had shrunk up to about 140 pounds. Crack cocaine was killing me. I had hair down to my rear end. He said, you need a haircut. I said, all right. He said, there's a, there's a barber here in the Sumter County Jail. He'll cut your hair. I said, all right. Ugliest haircut you've ever seen in your life. I got a picture. I should be showing you some pictures. Maybe I'll do that next time. But it, 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 was, it, was, it was a bowl cut. Have you ever, anybody ever had a bowl cut? Any of you ever give your kids bowl cuts? 
I'm, I, I, pray, I pray for your precious children. Um, <laughs> I got a bowl cut. It, it was ugly, but it was a haircut, right? And so I went before the, the judge, and it, wouldn't you know, I, I, got, I got the hardest judge in Sumter, South Carolina back then. You normally have four or five judges, and it depends on when you go, who you appear before. And I appeared before this hard, hardcore, old-school judge. And, and I didn't have an attorney. And um, he said, where's your lawyer, son? I said, I don't have one. And I, I don't know why I didn't have a public defendant. Maybe I did, and he was just sitting there. Maybe he was out for lunch, or maybe he wasn't. I don't know why. I can't explain it. But I said, Your Honor, I don't have one. I said, can I, can I talk to you? He goes, what do you have to say? And I said, well... I've accepted Jesus Christ into my heart, and I've become a Christian. And I said, Jesus has forgiven me of my past. I'm free in Christ. And he leaned back, you know, he looked at me. And I said, Your Honor, I, I'm scared. I don't want to go to prison. I don't want to go up the river. I said, but I also don't think you'll let me go today. I said, because I'm waking up every night in a cold sweat craving the drugs that I, that I was on. I said, I, I need help. And I said a few more things. I don't remember exactly what I said. But basically, he, he leaned back forward and he goes, boy, if I could tell you all the times that people come before me having found this Jesus in jail, it'd blow your mind. I sentenced you to five years in the state penitentiary. And my heart sunk. And it seemed like eternity kind of hung in the balance, kind of like it feels right now, just very quiet in the courtroom. And then he, he slammed that gavel down. He said, but I suspend that sentence based upon you successfully completing a drug rehabilitation program and three years probation. Basically what he said to me was, you have to go successfully complete drug rehab. And then if you get in any trouble in three years, if you don't keep your nose completely clean for three years, you will go back and retroactively serve five years in the state penitentiary. So I went back to my jail cell because I had to wait for an opening at the drug rehab center. And I sat there a few more months and I read the Bible and... I went to a place called the Palmetto Center in Florence, South Carolina. If you're ever on 95, again, going towards Sumter, you'll pass through an area called Florence. Literally, at one of those exits, you are literally a quarter of a mile from the Palmetto Center. I still stop by there every now and then. In fact, by the way, side note, give me a, give me a moment to sidebar here. If there's somebody in your life that you need to thank for God using them to bless your life and change your life and minister to you, by all means, go and thank them today. Write them a letter, give them a call, or drive to them because not long ago, probably about five years ago, I headed out to Sumter, South Carolina by myself because the Lord led me to go thank two people. One was Chaplain Ray Jones who gave me my first Bible and prayed with me in the jail cell to receive the Lord and the other was Joe Hartwell at the Palmetto Center, the drug treatment center. I went to thank them. And when I went to the jail, Chaplain Jones had died. And then I went to the drug rehab center, the Palmetto Center in Florence. And Joe Hartwell had just died. 
Now, I know they're in heaven and they, they, they know what God has done in and through them. But my point to you is don't, don't wait. Give somebody their flowers while they're living. Let them know what they've meant to you. So finally, an opening came available in the Palmetto Center. And this was not like Charter Rivers, you know, some of the, nothing against those places. And maybe you have some loved ones there. But those are, those are involuntary drug treatment centers. That's not what I went to. I went to a voluntary drug treatment center, which basically meant they could kick your rear end out in a heartbeat if you weren't working the program. I believe in that. Again, it was, it was some tough love. In fact, Joe Hartwell, the man I just mentioned, Joe Hartwell was about a six foot four kind of guy. He was a real thin guy. He would sit there like this and he'd meet with me every day and he, and he would drink black coffee in a little white styrofoam cup and he would chain smoke cigarettes at the same time. Marlboros. And he would smoke that cigarette down and he would literally light a new cigarette from the old cigarette. And he would drink that black coffee and he would smoke those old cigarettes. He was, a, he was a recovering addict himself. And he was a crusty old man. But here's what, here's what was so powerful about Joe. Joe would get all up in my grill and yell at me and make me deal with reality that I was basically committing slow suicide. I was destroying my life. And he would make me finally start to own my stuff. And not make excuses. See, that stuff when I shared with you about my mother and my father. Don't be mistaken. That, there, there's no excuse there. I was just framing my story. Too many people in our society, in our culture, uh, are embracing a victim mentality. And they're blaming somebody for their own stuff. Listen, you all got junk in your trunk. So do I. You got to own your own stuff. Quit blaming. Nobody owes you anything in life. Stop blaming people. And so Joe was the kind of guy who would, who would get me to understand that. And he would literally, yeah, cuss like a sailor. But then he was the kind of guy who would put his coffee and his cigarette down and get on his knees and cry with me. He was an unbelievable man. And so I was there for two months. You're only supposed to stay one. But after the first month, I asked, could I stay a uh, an extra month. I just wasn't ready to leave. I knew that. And by the way, I was, I was experiencing the freedom in Christ for the very first time on Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights were the best. Tuesday nights, they had what they call gospel hour. And some preacher would come in from somewhere in South Carolina and he would ride in and he would bring with him typically uh, an elderly lady who would, who would play the piano and we would sing those old gospel hymns. Remember, I never heard those growing up. So I would sing for the very first time, How Great Thou Art. And amazing grace and all those great hymns. And, and then some preacher would get up and he would preach the word. And I would hang on every single word. So I asked permission to stay an extra month. And they let me. Joe worked it out. I got out of the rehab and I went back to Sumter, South Carolina. Where I, I needed to get back into school. And so... The public school didn't want me. They would not take me. I'd been busted several times at Sumter High School, a 4A, great high school, big high school, about 6,000 people. They would, not, they would not even receive me back to their school. The only school in town that would take me was a little Catholic church called St. Jude Catholic Church. Um, 
I tried the night classes for the GED. I did that for a few months, and I, it, it just, I just knew it wasn't right for me. And so I, I got into St. Jude High School, Catholic school, got back into sports, started the very first FCA there, Fellowship of Christian Athletes at St. Jude High School. But I was that guy, I, I, was, that, I was that 19-year-old 11th grader. I really was. I, I, was the, I was the goober who, who, you know, was in the class and all the people were like, who, who are you, man? You need to go get a life. Um, so I, I got back in and in the 11th grade and got my grades up high enough, graduated and got into the University of South Carolina on academic probation and declared my major boldly and proudly. I knew what I wanted to do. I declared pharmacy as my major. <laughs> it's the most ironic twist of my story. I can't explain it, but I guess somewhere in my deep psyche, subconscious terrain, I decided, you know what, I had, I had sold enough drugs illegally. It, it was time to dispense some drugs legally. You know, can you stop for a moment? Can you imagine this old boy being a pharmacist? Stuck behind a counter? <laughs> Sister said, no, Lord. <laughs> so I, I, I declared and worked really hard. Had a 3.9 after my first semester. And then lo and behold, got accepted into the pharmacy program at the University of South Carolina, which is a very uh, nationally known pharmaceutical program. And I got in. And I was going to be a pharmacist. And um, all the while, man, just, I'd lost my license, so I had to get a ride to church on Sunday morning. So I'd get a ride to one church, I'd go to the early service there, and then I would walk like a mile and a half to another church. I mean, I just couldn't get enough. I was just, I, ju I was just finding freedom and forgiveness and purpose and meaning in Christ. And I was loving every second of it. And and all the while, I was going to be a pharmacy major, which, by the way, gives me a chance to say this. Listen, I don't know where you are, but I hope you never forget what it was like to live without Jesus. I said earlier that I probably don't share my story enough, and, and people ask me all the time. But one of the things I walk away from that I'm very, very grateful after I do share it is I don't ever want to forget. I don't ever want to forget what it is like to be lost. Can you remember? Can you... Can you remember what it was like to not have, I don't mean drug addict. I don't mean, I say, I don't think everybody, I, I don't romanticize my story today. That's one of the reasons why I probably don't want to share it more. I don't want people to think that you got to have a testimony like mine to be used of God. I got a big theological word for that, baloney. Like, I think of my own kids, and, 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 and the church is working. They grew up in the church. They love God. They're making good decisions. That's a great testimony. But in the midst of that, if that was your story, don't forget, don't ever forget what it was like to be lost and then be found, to be blind, but then see. And so I was pharmacy major and then God, only God started to open up doors for me to share my testimony and my story around the state of South Carolina. And so... I told God, I was like, God, wherever you send me, I'll go. I was Isaiah. Wherever you send me, I will go. I don't, need, I don't need anybody to go with me. 
I don't need any money. I don't need an honorarium. God, if you open up doors, I just want to tell people about what you've done in my life. So for about a year, I would jump in my 1978 blue Toyota Tercel, I think it was, hatchback. Guys, I went from a 1968 <laughs> unbelievable Mustang to a 1978 blue hatchback Toyota that had rusted out on the sides. It was one of those cars where when you turned it off, have you ever been in one of these cars? It didn't want to turn off. <laughs> but I would get in that, I would get in that car and I would drive sometimes four, five, six hours. And I'd show up at little churches sometimes to speak to as many as six or seven people. But I didn't care because it was me and it was that car and I believed God was with me and I started speaking and I started sharing my story. And one Sunday I spoke at a church at their youth group and when I got finished speaking, they asked me to interview to be their first student pastor and so I interviewed, and they hired me. And to be honest with you, all I was thinking was this will help me get through pharmacy school. I had no idea of being called to be a pastor at that point in time, just being real. I was looking at it as, as, as good money, $16,000 annual salary. I thought I was filthy rich. And I took the job. And um, about a month or six weeks in, the pastor invited me to preach from the main stage on a Sunday morning. And so I, I opened up the Bible and I preached from Luke chapter 15, the passage we've been studying in December. In fact, I want to read verses 31 and 32 with you out loud together. Luke 15. Go. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was and is alive again. He was and is. And I got up on that Sunday morning. Kind of a large downtown church. All the bells and whistles, right? The choir, the choir robes, the organs, the acolytes. Y'all remember the acolytes? candles and I the robes he put me in a robe I got up in a robe and I preached Luke 15 and all I can say to you is within about 10 minutes of preaching that message I knew that I knew that I would be pulling out of pharmacy school and that God had called me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ all the days of my life. And so I, I, preached, I preached my first sermon. You, you should hear it. I got it on cassette tape. <laughs> Young people, cassette tapes. Let me explain that to you. <laughs> we ought to meet here one Sunday and just listen to that sermon. It's the worst sermon you'll ever hear in your life. <laughs> it was I still pull it out sometimes. I cringe for 30 minutes. Just, it's, it's horrible. But I, I just got up and I just started preaching. I preached, I, I preached everything I knew and then I started making stuff up. <laughs> Not really. But kind of. 
Oh, I preached. I, I, just knew, I just knew right then and there. That was what I would be doing for the rest of my life. <sighs> Pulled out of pharmacy school. Worked really, really hard. Got my, I, I got off of academic probation the first year. But once I pulled out of pharmacy school, worked really, really hard, got my grades up, had like a 3.9, um, and got into to Duke University, uh, seminary school there, met Amy Lynn the first day of classes. Within a month or so, sat her down in my little apartment and told her what I'm telling you because I needed her to know my story. We graduated, we went to school there together, we graduated and then pastored a little church out toward the Grand Burlington area and then felt God calling us to start this church. We loaded up a family of five back then, three little kids and headed to Kentucky where I did my doctoral work and then we landed back here in 2002 and started the church and the rest, as they say, is history. But what I want you to know today as we, as we start to wrap up here is that I'm just so grateful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just praise the name of Jesus because he took a hell-bound, self-destructing prodigal and he saved his soul, he forgave his sins and he, he now has placed him in a church like this where I get the unbelievable privilege of being able to serve you and love you and do my very best to lead you. I'm just so thankful. And what I want you to do today more than anything is not leave here talking about a man. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a man. I, I'm, I'm just like you. But I want you to leave here today talking about a God who can take a person... Male, female, black, white, young, old, trailer trash, educated, uneducated. He can take a person and do something miraculous with that person if you will just let him. In fact, what I want you to do today is actually dream again. Like I want to give you permission to dream again. We serve a God who is able to do anything. We serve a God of the impossible. Matthew 19, Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. What is it inside of you that needs to awaken again inside of you? What is that? It's New Year's Day. What's 2017 going to be like for you? If, if your memories of the past are greater than your dreams of the future, you're done. What is it that needs to reawaken inside of you or in your marriage or in your parenting or in your vocational endeavors or in whatever it is that you desire in your heart? God can do great things in and through your life. Amen? He can. Here's something I've started doing lately. I want to encourage you to do this. Pick a word for 2017. Pick a word. Pick, pick a 
word that's going to be your word. Pick a word that and you might have to pray about this and really do some, 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 some homework with God, some time with God in prayer and in his word. But pick a word that, that captures the essence of your deepest heart cries. A word that captures an area where you want your life to soar in 2017. And make that your word. And leave here today knowing that God is able. Knowing that if you ground yourself in the gospel, and if you will live boldly in the gospel, and if you will focus your life, I'm talking 100%, no lukewarmness. I'm talking about everything you have, you will focus it in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will blow your mind with what he can do with your life. Trust me. I see it every single day and I cannot believe that I get to do life with you and God's using us in this kind of way. What's, what's your word? I got one. But I can't share it with you. It's just too personal. It's just too intimate. Maybe I will in 2017, but I got a word for 2017. And I hope you will leave here today knowing that you know that your better days, your best days can be ahead of you. It's why we often say around here, the best is what? Do you believe that? Or do you just throw it out there because that's what we say? I want to read one passage for you and I'm done. Psalm 23. Most time we hear this passage at funerals. But I was thinking this week about this time with you today and I realized how appropriate it is today after hearing a story like like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Do you know that in Christ you can lack absolutely nothing? Do you know that in Christ you can have everything you need in 2017 and beyond? Everything of, everything of eternal value? Everything that you really need, not what society and we start to convince ourselves that we need. I tweeted this out last night about midnight. I don't know, I won't remember exactly how I put it, but I said something like, in 2017, here's what I'm praying for you. Blessings, favor, goodness, love, peace. And then I ended the tweet with this. Christ makes all of that available. Amen. You can lack nothing if you get this gospel deep in your soul, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. I love this next part. He refreshes my soul. Anybody here need your soul refreshed? Anybody here praying 2017 just might be a little better than 2016? It can be. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley 
of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? forever he has prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies and on the night before he died on a cross for you he said take eat this is my body which is broken for you When the supper was over, he took the cup of the new covenant, a cup that represented the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. He said, take, drink, all of you, in remembrance of me. This is my body and this is my blood. And so how appropriate on January 1, 2017, that we get to celebrate Holy communion together. And as we leave today, again, don't leave talking about a man and his story. I want you to leave talking about a God who is able to do all things in your life. I want you to leave today maybe understanding why we do church like we do church. There are several things you'll start to pick up around this church. You'll start to hear things like come as you are. doesn't matter what you wear, it doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter your story, you're welcome at this table because God has prepared a table for all people. Grace happens, you hear that a lot around here. Grace happens because God has prepared a place for you at this table. The body of Christ, broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you pray with me father thank you for the sacrament of holy communion thank you father god that you have laid down your life for us thank you for the power of the gospel god personally lord i'm just so thankful that you reached into a miry pit of destruction, of death, of a lost soul who was hell bound. And you put my feet on solid ground. And I get to stand before these beautiful people and hold up the loaf and lift the chalice that represents your body and your blood. Father, I pray for my friends here today. I pray for those at our campuses. I pray for those who are experiencing this right now in front of a computer screen or a television. May they go get a piece of bread and a cup of juice. God, I pray that every single person here in this sacred moment would commune with you. God, I pray that we would dream again in receiving this sacrament today. 
God, that maybe you would place a word on our hearts that would be our focus, our theme for this year. God, for the person who is here and they don't know you and they've heard this story and maybe they get a glimmer of hope. Lord, I pray that in receiving a piece of bread and a cup of juice, they might pray a prayer like I did 29, 30 some odd years ago. Using the sacrament of Holy Communion as a converting sacrament. That they would literally receive this bread and this juice as the body and blood of Christ. Ask you to be their Savior and follow you to the best of their ability all the days of their lives. Father, we thank you. Thank you for seeing us through another year. For many of us, God, it was a tough year. We believe the best is yet to come. We thank you for what is ahead of us as a church. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us today as we receive this, God. Make them be for us the body, the blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ. Redeemed, saved for the world to see. We love you today. We give you our lives. We pray all of this in the matchless name of Jesus who taught us to pray together out loud saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.